What is greatness? What does it mean to you? What are you willing to do to achieve greatness, to be the very best, bar none? For Charlotte and Lizzie, that greatness came at the cost of their innocence and at the hands of a monster. In what can only be described as a gradual descent into a psychological hell, this is Netflix's The Perfection. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Caleb Lejay. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday and welcome to episode 147 of the Filmgasm podcast. Creeping up on 150, so be here before we know it. Today's film, yeah, can't wait. We have a really neat thing planned for that. Yes, a lot of neat things where I'll be at at that point. It'll be awesome, so yeah, I can't can't wait for that. (laughs) Today's film is a random draw from the book of Filmgasm, our constantly growing list of potential episodes. And what a great pick it turned out to be. Uh, Caleb, I know you had discovered this on your own about a year ago and were raving about it, so you were especially excited. Yes, yes, I was. Uh, this was one that, uh, you know, I keep, you know, I get Fangoria in the middle, I get on my horror sites every day. So there's a lot of these films that I'll hear about for like ever, and it, it makes its wave in the horror community. And this was one that was like everyone was talking about. I was like, y'all, you guys see this movie. You have to see it. It's good. They're like, don't watch the trailer don't read reviews just go see it go in as blind as possible and i think uh a lot of times it was actually we're gonna have to go up to see for like a month or so and i was loading up my netflix and i'm just downloading shit and i remember i was like oh shit this is perfect time to watch perfection i've been meaning to watch this damn movie so i downloaded it and i actually watched it on the boat on my ipad not the best possible quality but you know the best i could do at the time and i yeah i fell in love it threw me in so much twists and turns you never know what's going to happen it's brilliant brilliant movie and it makes me wish netflix would do more shit like the streamers would just i wish they would do more shit like this yeah and even then like i didn't hear anything about this movie this came out in 2018 and i only heard about it because of you netflix didn't promote this at all there was no like marketing it was just thrown on and vanished into the endless fucking cornfield of netflix it's i hate that the like the movies that should get promoted don't and the movies that don't deserve it or need it are the ones they never stop throwing money at. Yeah. They'll, they'll promote, you know, like in the tall grass for fucking ever. And then this just gets lost and it's like, all right, well, no offense and tall grass was weird and not something I want to watch again, but the perfection is something that even with the subject matter that we're about to delve into, I would in a heartbeat, recommend it to anyone, absolutely anyone, to see. Speaking of uh, Stephen King, I heard this. I, I don't know if this is true. I hope it is. Um, apparently, King has started buying his properties back from studios. He's tired of them fucking up his work. So he started going back. I guess the, the, the final straw was the uh, upcoming Cujo remake they were considering. They were going to turn Cujo into some kind of a bionic government like project that went awry. Cujo was an acronym for like cybernetic some shit. I don't know. But yeah, King was like, fuck that, pulled it and has now been going back and like getting his stuff. And he's going to start distributing to filmmakers who come to him and say like, this is my vision for 
Cujo for Salem's lot. Like, this is what I want to do. And then he'll decide if he's just, you know, the people are worthy enough to do his stories, which I think the way it should have been from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't heard about this is new to me. Yeah. So if this is true, hell yeah, this should have happened way sooner. Not when he's nearing his eighties. Um, Fucking robot dog Cujo. That that was really gonna happen. <laughs> that is that is horrendous. Like, yeah, he needs to do it based on a filmmaker or an actual studio that cares, like Blumhouse. I know they're doing a new Christine, mm-hmm. but based off their initial report on it, they're trying to very much keep it eighties and in line with the book. So it sounds like they get, but they're not just trying to shit on what a lot of people like, but actually like enhance what you like. And do yeah. something new with it. And I'm down with that. And I'm sure they'll do great with the Firestar movie as well. But then you have ones like, um, or it, how was it? Like, you know, it was great. It Chapter Two, I, I like, but I know a lot of people went into Chapter Two. Um, obviously, those whole Pet Cemetery fiasco, or it made money, but a lot of people didn't like it. It's weird. For me, for me, the last, like, the, the biggest blow to fans was the Dark Tower. That, I mean that was embarrassing. That hurt me. I think I was I was pumping it up to you too. I believe. So yeah, I remember yeah. I was like, I love the Dark Tower books. You know how much I love those books. And I was yeah. like, oh, I remember texting like, dude, they're doing a movie finally, and they got McConaughey to pay him. Like I was excited. And then I sat for that movie in Dubai. Yeah, I was on the plane when it came out. Got to watch it in Dubai theater. Uh, and. God, it was awful. God, it was bad. And I guess bad enough that Prime's not moving forward with the show anymore, which pisses me off. Yeah. Like, why can't we just get a good thing? But hey, I mean, if King's in the property is back, maybe we'll finally get the good Dark Tower. Like, he'll give it someone that actually wants to do something good with it. Yeah, that's, I think uh, this is a positive. You know, he's going to have the rights to his work again, and he'll be able to tell, like, does this guy really want to make my book, or does he just want to make his own movie with? my book's name on it mm. like is this gonna be gerald's game or the fucking lawnmower man <laughs> yeah so now he'll be able to be a little bit more choosy which is great i think that's only going to be beneficial to the fans yeah is it going to be the stand from the 90s or is it the stand from 2020 <laughs> i haven't seen it yet but after i know it lovecraft country i'm finally going to sit through that to see what people have been talking about so it's coming on my radar here soon <laughs> I have no interest in sitting through the stand. I, I don't, I know that they were, they were bragging about the fact that they were abandoning a lot of the, of the book and doing their own thing, which pissed me off. Like all I want to see is a decent adaptation of the stand. That's all I want. That's all anybody who loves the book wants. You know what they're not bragging about? That at one point Marilyn Manson was attached to that cast and he's magically not attached to that cast. Ooh boy. Yeah. See, this thing's just, just, it's bad. It's bad. I, I don't know. I got nothing. So it's bad. Okay. I don't know so, why so far, but there you go. <laughs> I'm just happy about that. And uh, you mentioned in the tall grass, and I'm like, oh, King remembered. I remembered. So yeah, no, I'm glad I, I haven't heard that. Like I said, I've been so busy with the move and stuff. So like some stuff's been canceled with the cracks being more, more recently. And I don't know if that's true. I just hope it is. I hope so. So before we get into the perfection, uh, we haven't had one of these in a while, but I've got a great big handful of updates on the Rewind. Today, we're going to update five of our past Filmgasm episodes. Uh, the Exorcist, Child's Play, Pet Cemetery, The Godfather, 
and Blade Runner. So buckle up. A lot of cool shit. Buckle up, buckaroos. God, South Park references galore on this episode already. <laughs> First up, Halloween director David <laughs> Gordon Green is going to be helming a new Exorcist trilogy for Universal, which the studio has purchased for $400 million. In addition, original film star Ellen Burstyn will be returning to the role of actress Chris McNeil. Uh, fans are kind of divided about this. Um, the Exorcist is one of those, you know, sacred movies that a lot of people don't want being touched. But, you know, a lot of people said it about Halloween and David Gordon Green spun that into fucking magic. It's a sacred movie that no one wants to touch, but we're ignoring the fact that there's been four, five sequels and a TV show. But whatever, we don't want to touch that. <laughs> I, I, I know. I think it's been it's touched horrible. already, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think they just don't want it to be remade. Uh, Probably. But, you know, this could be interesting. I mean, Ellen Burstyn's blessing means a lot. She's, you know, an Oscar-winning actress, was nominated for the original Exorcist. You know it's not a remake, right? I know. It's a direct sequel trilogy. Just like yeah, that. I was about to say, yeah. Green... For those who are scared if it's a remake, Green said, it's like Halloween, it's, he's doing the same damn thing he did with Halloween here. Sweet. I mean, I loved 2018's Halloween. I think I'm going to love Halloween Kills. And David Gordon Green like, is the only guy I want, you know, sequelizing famous horror movies. Yes, the guy who gave me Pineapple Express, just keep doing this. <laughs> Let's not forget that. This guy gave us Pineapple Express, one of my favorite comedies. Is <laughs> now giving us some of the best like recent horror films. I like wonder today. if it's I'm glad they got Ellen Burson. I'm wondering if they've talked to Linda Blair already or if she's turned them down. I don't know. I haven't seen anything pop up on my feed, so I'm not sure. Um, I am glad they got her back because Burson, man, she I mean, even like just Exorcist Alone, right? She's phenomenal in that show, movie. Yeah. So, oh, I'm as well replaced right now in the movie, but outside of the actress, she's just a phenomenal actress. I mean, her work in Working Room for a Dream is fucking outstanding. And to get her to the to me, like something was good enough to convince her to come back. So I'm looking at it like they were able to convince her to come back. But she doesn't have to. Like she's older, she has her money, she can retire. Like, but she was convinced. Kind of like how they got John Carpenter back for this, you know, Halloween trilogy. She's come back for this. So that tells me that they thought of something special. Um, I, the number when they reported it was like almost, I think it was like $465 million she spent to do this trilogy. I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. That's an investment. <laughs> God, it better be like Halloween 2018 when you're making off these movies. Fuck. This is The Exorcist. I'm sure it'll... You know, this is the original demonic possession movie. People are going to want to see these, uh, especially since Exorcist 2 was shit and Exorcist 3 is underappreciated. So, you know, I'd like to see some, some new shit. Yeah. And, and I'm about to say it has a better track record than people consider because, yeah, I mean, two people, people hate two, but it's also kind of that like so bad it's good for a lot of people. So a lot of people watch it ironically. Nah. Like, you know, a lot I mean, of bad I mean Austin did an episode on it. It's so bad, it's bad. Yeah, well, guess what? Does that count for the upcoming show? Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. Do I want to have to? I don't want to watch Exorcist 2 again. I don't want to make you watch it again. But moving on, 
<laughs> uh, you know, three, yeah, very underappreciated, but it does have a humongous cult following, and it has been reappraised in more recent years, especially yeah. that uh, Screen Factory release that added the put all the scenes back in, make it the actual director's cut of the film. Legion, you know, Legion, yeah. Um, so that's there, but then obviously there was a t- the weird double release of the fourth movie, and neither one people liked. Um, but then the TV show got like rave reviews. It got canceled, I think, two seasons, unfortunately. But it apparently was really fucking good. I heard nothing but good things from anyone who watched it. So the the ability to make something excellent with Exorcist is there beyond the first movie. It's just will be something people latch on to. I personally, I like The Exorcist three more than I like the first one. The third one scares the shit out of me. That movie's so unnerving. I think it's so smart and just tops to me i think the first one is good i think it's just been kind of you know done to death with you know nods and parodies it's not scary anymore well i mean that's that's not really the movie's part that's just everyone constantly referencing it can't believe the movie on that one like they just made a movie and moved on yeah yeah you're not wrong well this will you know maybe this new one will this new trilogy will kind of like reinvigorate interest in all of it and I just really hope Linda Blair comes back. Yeah, no, when Austin and I did the Exorcist three episode, we pitched like a, a, a new movie idea, and I personally I thought it was pretty fucking awesome, and I I, I want them to do that. <laughs> I'd be not for Linda Blair to come back. I'm okay with that. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm not going to get too excited until I start seeing some footage. But yeah, I mean, going green, come back, and what he's doing with the Halloween uh, series right now is great um so i'm i'll see how this stands i'll see it. i'll wait till some footage comes out and hopefully if it looks good i'll be like okay hell yeah bring it on yeah me too next up uh veteran character actors pam greer has joined the cast of paramount plus's pet cemetery prequel film so pam greer's on board i wasn't expecting to hear that news yeah. at all <laughs> I saw that earlier this week, and I was like, what the fuck? And I I went to a special screening of Pulp Fiction at the Alamo Draft House uh, this past weekend. And uh, Pam Greer did the don't talk before the movie thing. She did a new one where she's like, don't talk, motherfuckers. And it was was great. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still not, you know, putting a lot of hope on this movie, but Pam Greer is always a win, so... Maybe she'll, you know, I don't know. Maybe this will be good. I hope so. Uh, I doubt it, but I mean, she'll be good. That's for sure. <laughs> um, next up, the long-awaited full trailer for the upcoming sci-fi channel series Chucky has been released. Brad Dourif returns as Chucky. Alex Vincent returns as Andy Barclay. Jennifer Tilly returns as Tiffany. And franchise writer-director Don Mancini returns to write. Premieres on Sci-Fi and USA Network on October 12th. And this looks just like classic Chucky. This looks like everything fans have wanted for years. Uh, yeah, the, this really got me so, so excited. because it looks classic. And someone pointed out, I was watching some stuff on it. It looks like they're actually doing a good job of holding a lot back, too, from the trailer. Because we know, like you were saying, we know, you know, Jennifer Tilly's coming back. We know, um, oh, God, I'm forgetting... Andy, you know, the guy who plays Andy, goddamn, I'm forgetting his name right now. Alex Vincent. There you go. Alex Vincent. Fuck. It's long. It's been a long day, folks. Uh, 
uh, the lady who plays Kyle, and then uh, Fiona Dorf are all coming back. That's like has not been a secret, but none of them were in the trailer. So like they're clearly holding a lot back, which I appreciate. So there's like surprises in store, and I hope it stays that way. So I know it's not till October, so there's still more trailers going to come out. But I hope they maintain this level of secrecy while still giving us something to get excited for, like this trailer did. Because I got, yeah, I got excited seeing Chucky in his classic look and doing what he was doing. Like, I would say the first three movies, right? Just especially the first one, like making people seem like the kids are crazy. <laughs> and obviously, for I know Devin Sawar is in this and he's been kind of making the genre a comeback, which is cool. So I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for the show, super pumped. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited that Brad Dourif came back as Chucky because to me, the Child's Play remake was such a disappointment for, you know, mostly because we didn't have him. I mean, no disrespect to Mark Hamill, but he ain't Chucky. <laughs> There's only one Chucky. Well, uh, it felt like such a shit move on the studio's part. So I remember they announced that right after they announced the TV show. Like, Don Mason was like, hey, we're doing a TV show. And um, it was like the next day we're remaking the first child's play. I'm like, what the fuck? And it, I don't know. Like, if you look at like the behind the scenes of that, like you could tell they were just doing it to try to get some money off the name. And like Don Mancini was not involved. No one in that original film was involved. Not even Tom Holland, who directed the goddamn original movie, was involved. So it was like that was clearly a money move that thankfully flopped hard. No offense to the actors involved, but. Yeah, I'm, I was always more excited for the show, and this trailer just, you know, made me more excited. Yeah, I'm hoping this is fun. I'm hoping it lasts beyond, you know, a single season. And, uh, you know, really, I just, I, I hope it's a good show. Yeah. Uh, next, Anthony Ippolito has been cast as Al Pacino in the upcoming series, The Offer, which tells the story of the production of The Godfather. Uh, I don't know who the hell this kid is, but I am excited to, to watch this. Uh, it's, you know, how did Francis Ford Coppola, who was like the eighth or ninth choice to direct The Godfather, create, you know, turn kind of a troubled production into what many consider the greatest movie of all time? There's definitely a story there, and uh, I'm psyched. Yeah, it's it's truly an underdog story if you really look at like The Godfather, because they didn't have faith in him. I don't. If I recall correctly, they didn't have faith in Pacino. No, they either. tried to fire him so many times. It was Coppola who kept stepping in and saying, like, if he goes, I go. I trust this kid. Mm. Also, <laughs> yeah, they didn't have faith with him. They obviously weren't rushing to get Brando involved. because So I guess it was those years of, like, you guys really don't want to work with him because he's a he's hard to work with. But, you know, we got one of his most iconic performances out of it. So, like, there's a, there a lot of things in that movie production the film's production that should have spelled one of the worst films of all time absolute disaster and yet yeah like you said many people consider it the greatest of all time it's considered francis ford coppola's masterpiece it's considered one like it's like right up there with like scarface and heat for pacino like it has all this like acclaim to it so it's like yeah it's really an underdog story that has a you know should make for an interesting show I remember reading uh, Mario Puzo, the screenwriter who adapted his own novel. He wrote the novel The Godfather, wrote the screenplay of all three films with Francis Ford Coppola. He had never written a screenplay before, so he was just winging it with The Godfather. And, you know, he won an Oscar for it. 
And then afterwards, he decided, well, I should probably learn how to properly write a screenplay. So we went out and bought a book on how to write screenplays. Very first thing in the book says, go watch The Godfather. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> ah, beautiful. And then I love just Brando's complete. He did this for a lot of his movies, especially in the later years. He refused to even attempt to learn his lines for the most part. So what he had, he had his lines hidden throughout the set. He had them written on like cue cards that were behind the camera. He had them written on Robert Duvall. He had him just, so he would like just look around and, you know, read the guy. <laughs> he, had, he found a stray cat on the production floor. And he's like, I'm going to have this cat in my, in my performance. And they're like, all right. That's why he's playing with a cat. The beginning of the movie. Have they cast who's playing Brando in that show yet? <laughs> Not yet. Oh god, I'm very curious on who they're going to get for that one. Um, they've cast a couple people. I know. I think Army Hammer was involved until uh, recent allegations. Oh. I'll say until uh, his fall from grace. I'm looking it up. I know that they're. It's weird. They're making a series about this, and they're also planning a movie about this. So there's two productions in the works with Is the it? same idea. Is it me? Is I feel like that's happening a lot now. Like a lot more than usual. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. Like I uh, hear about a TV show, and then I'm hearing about a movie game later. I'm like, all right, well we can't decide here. Oh, they have cast Brando, uh, Justin Chambers. Uh, not Rainbow. Dan Fogler is Francis Ford Coppola. Okay, uh, okay. That's awesome. Um, Patrick Gallo is Mario Puzo. Miles Teller is Albert S. Ruddy, the uh, producer. Oh, he got work. Good for him. <laughs> Frank John Hughes is Frank Sinatra. Uh, yeah, he he has ties to this. Um, trying to see. Oh like, yeah, he does. All right, James Caan and John Cazale and Robert Duvall. They have not yet been cast. Okay, uh, looking forward to that. Lou Ferrigno is going to be in it. <laughs> okay, playing Lenny Montana. Oh, good for Lou Ferrigno. Colin Hanks, Matthew Good, uh, Giovanni Ribisi, Juno Temple. This this could be pretty cool. This could be. This is a really good cast so far. Ooh, Anthony Scordy's playing Carlo Gambino, infamous mob boss. This is going to be very interesting. Okay. <laughs> you know, you mentioned Army Hammer earlier. Is it me, or every time, every time I think of Army Hammer, I always think of, like, a lesser man's Henry Cavill. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Like, Henry Cavill was enough. He's British, sophisticated, love a lot of his work, and then somehow Army Hammer like, well, I can also be those things. And then the allegations came up. But before the allegations, it was, you're not really doing a lot of good movies, big guy. Um, the way I see it, it, comparing the two, Henry Cavill is, he's Coke, and Army Hammer is like Walmart's discount cola. <laughs> like, it's kind of the same thing, but we all know what we want to drink. Yeah, well, we do, because Army Hammer has allegations. Henry Cavill now has a very successful run on Netflix with The Witcher, so. They have taken his cola off the shelves while Henry Cavill now has, you know, vanilla Coke, cherry Coke. Like it's, it's, he's just getting more 
notoriety now. Yeah. <laughs> I, look, I saw that Witcher season two trailer. Fucking stoked. I, I got to watch The Witcher. I'll, I got to make some time to that for that. Um, you might actually like it. You like fantasy stuff, and it's it's not bad. Um, I will say, be prepared. And I don't know if any of the fans we do have have seen it, but they tell the first season out of order. Um, but they don't want to tell you that, and because enough fans complain about it, like a lot of fans are like, "Hey, we really like your show," but dear God, that the guy, the show camera says like, "No one, okay, we know we fucked up." The kid man is like, "Okay, we fucked up." Season two, it's linear. It's not gonna be out of order this time. Like, sorry, we should have better trailer. You guys know the placement. Yeah, yeah, so be prepared for that, but also know that they did. They recognized it. It's gonna be rectified. I found it. I've been. I kept find, try, looking for a movie about the Godfather. It kept taking me to the fucking Godfather. <laughs> it's Do you mean the Godfather? <laughs> <laughs> Technically, yeah, it is about the Godfather, but that's not what I'm looking for. Uh, <laughs> Francis and the Godfather is the movie that's in production right now. Um, Barry Levinson's directing it. It stars Oscar Isaac as Francis Ford Coppola and Jake Gyllenhaal as Robert Evans, uh, the other producer involved in the production of this thing. There are a lot of producers. Yeah, this this should be... I'm probably going to... Honestly, I'm probably going to watch this before I'm going to watch The Offer. It'll probably come out before The Offer, if I'm being honest. It's in pre-production. The offer is slated for 2022, so I guess we'll see. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I just, I've noticed that. It seems like we're getting so many, like, films and TV shows. I think it's been the new thing, especially, like, ever since Marvel started doing it with the MCU now. Now everyone else was like, we can do the same thing. Movie and a TV show, this exact same thing you're watching. At least Marvel isn't doing the exact same, like, it's not, you know, they're not doing, like, you know, uh, an Iron Man movie and an Iron Man show at the same time that's covering the exact same fucking story. Because <laughs> that's what Paramount's doing. Paramount's going all in on that. But the only one they can't seem to do at the same time is Star Trek. It's here, like, we got the movie series, but we got the TV show. We cannot fucking happen at the same time. They cannot. Oof. I don't... Yeah, I remember recently we talked about on Sneak Preview, they, they were, like, are hoping to bring back the the, the uh, Abrams cast for a new Star Trek, and that's like the fourth or fifth Star Trek announcement that like has been revealed in the past year, and they all fucking contradict one another. <laughs> so I just you know don't hold your breath when it comes to Star Trek movies these days. You've got plenty not, of shows. Enjoy it. Yeah, I will say I'm not. I watched Picard, um, and I liked enough to go like, look, I'll go in on your shows as soon as I catch up my backlog. Kill us about your movies, right? I watch me. I don't even remember, I like the Abrams movies a lot. Like, I actually like from the first one to beyond, but don't try to bring that cast back. They're clearly done. They're all getting bigger fucking movies that are making millions and they're trying to do sequels. So, I was reading something, some classic thing got turned into a show that Simon Pegg is it Galaxy Quest. That's what it was. They're rebooting Galaxy Quest as a series, and Simon Pegg is involved. That might not be bad, actually, if Simon Pegg's involved. I know, but I want that cast. Like, they all worked so well together. And it's a shame we can't do it without Alan, with uh, Alan Rickman. So you want a cast, but one of the cast members is dead. Just like, I want Slipknot to be fully one again, but two of the members are officially, as of today, dead. Yeah, I know. But just seeing anybody else in those roles isn't going to feel right. 
Yeah. No, I, I get what you mean. I I'll see. I that's why I always tell people. I'm on a point now. I was like, I have to see a trailer before I really judge it because it's like, it's the same thing. You know, they reviewed something I really love, and I'm like, oh god, I don't know if I can say cast do this. And then I'm like, let me, I'll hold out, and if the trailer impresses me, I'll give it a shot. So, yeah, that's kind of where that's all we got. Mm. Uh. Finally, our last update for the Rewind, the trailer for the new animated series Blade Runner Black Lotus was released. The show will premiere on Adult Swim in the fall, takes place 17 years before Blade Runner 2049, and will star the voice talent of Jessica Hennick, Barkad Abdi, Wes Bentley, Josh Duhamel, and Brian Cox. Uh, I don't care. (laughs) I don't give a fuck about Blade Runner, and I'm tired of having to justify it. That's my piece. I I like both Blade Runner movies, but I don't. I wasn't super impressed with the trailer. I'll probably watch this at some point, but I'm not going to rush to watch it. Um, I know anime is getting like a lot bigger seems in the states in more recent years, but even this particular anime, it's like I don't know how I feel about the animation. So. That's my main thing. I was like, oh, I saw the animation. I don't know, man. Like, 3D animation is so fucking hit and miss. Like, you're going to give me something beautiful that, like, Pixar and Disney does or something like Space Jam, New Legs, and I'm just being pissed off the whole time because I'm like, this looks awful. Did you see the Honest trailer for Space Jam? Yes, I did. Like, I, see, I watched yeah. it immediately. <laughs> that was fantastic. And you know what um, makes me really happy? They, Mr. LeBron James made such a big deal to the haters about how successful that movie was opening weekend. It's still a box office bomb because it has not even made $100 million on a $150 million budget. $150 million budget. Jesus H. Franken-Christ, that's too yeah. much. Yeah. It's really funny how like LeBron James and Steve were like, yeah, look, fuck you guys. It was successful in its first weekend, but it plummeted so hard after that. What is Warner Brothers paying for? They own all of that shit. There's nothing to purchase. Is that all just to get LeBron? Probably. Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, for anyone who's thinking, like, oh, yeah, see the new spaceship. Nope, it flopped. Fuck all of you. Stop trying to tell me how good. And it's funny, too, because like, I remember that weekend they were going on about that. They were like, oh, yeah, see, it, it did great. And then, like, the next weekend, like, the shitty weekend of film <laughs> came. And also, no one's talking about Space Jam 2. They were like, oh, I guess we won't have another successful weekend. Because, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. 150 million budget, 94 million box office. Ugh. Thank you, America. You scared me there for a second, but you did exactly what I should have assumed, which was everyone got curious, watched it, hated it, spread the word of mouth. No one wants to go watch it the next weekend. I want to make it clear. We both watched it because we had to. Yeah, I didn't do this, apparently, and I did on HBO Max, so hopefully I contributed less to his success. Yeah. Anyway, Blade or Runner. Success. <laughs> I've given... I, the original Blade Runner, I have watched four times. I have given it four chances, because every time I watch it and say I don't like it, I have family and friends who are like, well, you got to give it another chance. You didn't really appreciate it. Every <laughs> fucking time. Did you watch the work print version or did you watch the director's cut? Or did you watch the final cut or the international cut or the theatrical cut? Here, stand by. I have. Oh my God. Oh, I'm too lazy to really. 
This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is the shit. Like, oh, you just didn't watch the right one. And then I'll watch the other one and I'll, I won't see any fucking difference. And they'll be like, well, you got to watch this version. Like, look, oh, look, this, man, is, this is what people who hate Star Wars feel like. <laughs> I just... See. You have a work print version that exists, right? You got the US theatrical cut, the international theatrical cut, and the director's cut. That's on one disc. Impressive. And you got the final cut. I don't, I don't see how you haven't found a cut you don't like. I have watched at least two cuts and i'm i'm done i at this the fourth time was for this podcast and as far as i'm concerned that's it blade runner's dead to me i'm done i have not seen 2049 and i know in the near future i'm gonna fucking have to uh just for reasons well you'll you'll find out soon if you listen to all of our shows but I don't, i've been avoiding it for three years because i didn't care then i don't care even more now but just people I know won't just accept the fact that I don't like Blade Runner. You are one of those people. <laughs> Did you at least actually, like, you know, I'm saying, watch the final cut? Yes. Like, the actual, like, complete edition of it? Yes, I did. Right. At least twice. All right, that's all I got. <laughs> Three different classes I took in college. Blade Runner was on the fucking curriculum. <laughs> Three different classes. A great goddamn movie. Is I didn't like it. It's boring, and I don't. I can't get into it. I just don't. I don't get. And I know that this new one is like twice as long, and by a director who is known for putting me to fucking sleep. So I'm not exactly lining up to watch that. <laughs> I needed to get all that out. It's been a while. I like Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Good for you. Keep it to yourself. Nope. <laughs> I, I can't wait to get my In Search of Tomorrow Blu-ray later this year. It's a, uh, you know, the In Search of Darkness I was telling you about? The floor. Oh. Yeah, the, it's the same company that did In Search of Tomorrow, but on 80s sci-fi. Yeah. Can't wait to see what they say about Blade Runner. But whoever is willing to fucking talk in that documentary, should we know how Harrison Ford and Ridley Scott are. Honestly, I think the only person who hates Blade Runner more than I do is Harrison Ford. Yeah, but he came back for 2049, which I didn't understand that. You ever see that picture of X when he accidentally could just like straight up clocked Ryan Gosling? No. And he's just like, he looks so like, oh, sorry. <laughs> they got along really well. Their press tour was fucking hilarious. Because <laughs> Harrison Ford wouldn't answer any fucking questions. Ryan Gosling would just laugh at the fact that Harrison Ford wouldn't answer any questions and then Harrison Ford would laugh at Ryan Gosling laughing at him and it turned into just a fucking circle jerk. It was great. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so yeah, Blade Runner show coming for those of you who love this cinematic universe as much as I do. Enjoy it. How are we well? Can't wait. That is all can't wait for you to finally like Blade Runner. It's going to happen one day. I don't know what will have to happen. I honestly don't. Like, I've given four chances. I, I don't give anything four chances. Blade Runner, I kept going because I at first I'm like, is it me? Am I just that cynical? And after the third time, I'm like, no, it's not me. And then the fourth time, I'm like, it's definitely not me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm out. Blade Runner is is I'm done. I don't like it. Y'all can like it. Keep me out of it.
Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rope you back in. Ah, good luck. Um, the perfection. <laughs> A Netflix original produced by Miramax. It was directed and co-written by Richard Shepard, who also directed the films The Matador and get this, Dom Hemingway. No, he didn't. Yeah, remember that movie? Yes, I do. Choose Law. Yeah. That movie was a joy. I can't believe no one talked about that one. Yeah, that one was the whole scene, the whole opening. He's getting low job and just talking into the camera about how awesome his dick is. Like, I love this guy within 10 seconds of the movie on. I'm like, this dude, I would follow this guy into hell. (laughs) He's fucking crazy, but at least he knows it. (laughs) Oh, God. Choose Law was so good in that movie. Yeah, I was back when I first saw that. It was like early days of the website. I hadn't seen a lot of Jude Law's work, so I like I knew him from Sherlock Holmes, uh, AI. I knew him as kind of a dry British guy. I didn't know he could go there, so I was very impressed with Tom Hemingway. <laughs> um, Shepard also won an Emmy for directing an episode of Ugly Betty. So he's done a lot of TV, uh, only a handful of films. But he should do more films. He's, he's got a very good touch as a director. Um, Allison Williams stars as Charlotte, former cellist prodigy. Williams also played Rose Armitage in Get Out and has appeared in TV shows like Girls and a series of unfortunate events. And Get Out is pretty much the thing she's known for. Yeah, I mean, she's really good in Get Out. She's really good in this, too, so... She's a really good uh, actress, so I would see her in more um, genre stuff. Do you, I don't know the rules, but do you qualify her as a screen queen? Not yet. Um, you have to, like, those. It's a, the rules on that are really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Malleable? Oh. Um, but... <laughs> Usually, like, you have to be pretty consistent. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just, like, two films and we never see you again. Um, you know, Grant, Anya Taylor-Troy has been getting into that realm of screen cream, but she has kind of keep – she keeps coming back to horror in some capacity. Um, to me, like, I have to see you pretty consistently, like, how, like, you know, the one I've been crushing on, Small Reaving, like, she's pretty consistent. Like, I mean, you get the babysitter, you had Ready or Not. Uh, Guns Akimbo, uh, Mayhem. Like, she was just like, it seemed like if there wasn't a horror film that passed by that, I did not see her in it. So, I think you have to be consistent. You have to be good too. Like, you have to like you. You know what I mean? Like, so consistent. So, so that means like they have to be in horror movies like one after another. You're one after or a good amount. Because obviously I understand they're going to want to do some stuff outside. Like obviously with Small Reaving, we've been seeing her do stuff. Going back to her, I only go back to her not because I have a huge freshman, but because she's like the more recent screen cream we've gone. Um, but she does the stuff outside of it. You know what I mean? She does. She did Bill and Ted face the music. She, um, that was something she. Oh shit, Snake Eyes, right? Her fucking thankless goddamn role in that, which I blame the the, the movie, not her. Um. Hey, arch nemesis, the Yakuza betrayed us. You want to be best friends? <laughs> Fuck that. It's all in the scripts. That's all scripting right there. Um, 
So, you know, she does do stuff outside of it, and that's fine. Because I don't want them, I obviously don't want them to just be stuck in horror and then maybe not have a successful career. If they want to do stuff outside, great. But she also comes back. Yeah. So, like, they, you're, there has to be like, yeah, there can be like a stream of delicious tune, one horror movie after horror movie after horror movie. Patrick Wilson has been like that. It seems like I only see this fucking horror movies now. And he's actually taking on the role, the recent title of Scream King. They're trying to make that a thing now and kind of give love to the guys who do horror a lot. So, and he's in there because of his consistent work with James Wan. Um, so it's either one after the other, or you're doing a lot and you might do something outside of it for a little bit, but then also I'm seeing more horror. So, yeah. And I think a big thing too, is you got to have respect for fans. A lot of the ones we like, they, they respect the fans and they, they don't try to diss the genre of the fans. And that goes a long way. That's really big, especially because again, in a horror genre, we have conventions, right? Like, obviously, I know like other genres have conventions. You know, I know anime has anime has fucking conventions out the ass. Um, but horror is beyond conventions, and with that comes these actors, these actresses. They come there, and they got to meet their fan. They meet their fans, so it's like that. Their respect for the genre, fans has to be there as well. Okay, well, that is very complicated, and uh, I feel it's- like I know less, so. It's complicated. The the key is like we have to see them pretty like consistently. That's yeah. the key. Well, I doubt this is her last horror movie. No, she's getting there. If she keeps, I say I give her one or two more. Yeah, I'll consider her for sure. Uh, Logan Browning plays Lizzie, the new prodigy. Browning has appeared in TV shows such as Dear White People, Powers, and Meet the Browns. Uh, not a lot of film credits, but she is really fucking good in this. Uh, I hope to see her more in the future as well. There, I hope you're not catching him on mic, but there's an air horn asshole still going wild out there. Yeah, I don't hear him at all. <laughs> yeah, there's some dude outside uh, Caleb's apartment with an air horn just being an asshole. So if you catch that, uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry, guys, I'm not closing my windows. I don't have AC. Well, anyway, yeah, uh, Logan Browning, Lizzie. Uh, fantastic performance, uh, very interesting character. This movie really does kind of string you along to a couple different, you know, this is what's really happening, and then they pull you pull the rug out from under you. It's a very smart screenplay. Yeah, no, yeah. They, both these actresses do a really good job of uh, performance. Obviously, it's, it's written very well. It's, it's superbly written. But their performances help a lot because they really make you believe every time it's taken a new turn that you think you're going on, you're with them for it. You know what I mean? Like they do such good performance. Um, we'll talk about one later, but there's a specific scene on the bus where they, to me, they are just knocking it out of the park. In that scene, it's such a fucking tense scene. So yeah, they are wonderful. Um, Elena Huffman plays Paloma, Anton's complacent wife. Huffman is known, at least by us, for her role as the Knight of Hell Abaddon in the eighth and ninth seasons of Supernatural. Uh, yeah. She also played Black Canary on Smallville, as well as Lieutenant Tamara Johansson on Stargate Universe. So she's no stranger to genre shit. Uh, and I kind of wish we'd gotten a bit more of her in The Perfection. I feel like she's more of a background character. Yeah. I mean, there's enough there that you know that, like, she's complicit like she's fine with what's going on but 
that's about it. Like, there's not a lot. She's just know that she's Stephen Weber's wife. I'm assuming the way they're presented, and she's a okay with what's happening in there. Oh yeah, still gets hers. Yeah. Um, I seriously doubt he was. You know, how the hell did they end up in this situation? How does a husband and wife end up in a rape cult, leading a rape cult? How do you lead a rape cult and then you go fuck your wife? What kind of compartmentalization are you doing? To tell yourself, I'm doing this for the greatness of music. That's that's fucked up as hell. I mean, yeah. just... Ugh. And then you leave and you're like, I'm going to go make love to my wife. Like, what the fuck? This is... Ugh. We'll get to it. Um, finally, Steven Weber is our sadistic villain, Anton, head of the back off school. I love that it's the back off school. Like, that's... Uh. I actually never caught that. I've seen this twice now. Holy shit. Yeah, back off. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, creepy, considering he wasn't backing off. No, if anything, he was backing on. Oh, boy. Oh, Weber is known for his starring role on the sitcom Wings, which ran for eight seasons. He also played Jack Torrance in the 1997 miniseries remake of The Shining. You ever see that? I haven't, but I've heard about it. Actually, I heard it's actually not bad. I know it kind of gets made fun of by some people, but the, like it's really faithful to the book. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I heard Steven was actually pretty good in the movie, on the show, whatever you want to call it. Well, he he plays a more faithful Jack Torrance of you know a guy who really is trying to be a good father, really is trying to fight his alcoholism, and then is poisoned by the hotel. Whereas Jack Nicholson was just psycho abusive father from the beginning. <laughs> the hotel just made him a murderer. Weber went from zero to like you know a hundred in the span of a miniseries length, and Nicholson was at a hundred, and then just kept going in two and a half hours. (laughs) His default setting is like just knocking futs. It's great. Uh, But the miniseries is you know Stephen King wrote it himself. He was like, I want The Shining to be done right. In his eyes, so he did it, and uh, it's it holds up. It's a good watch. I remember actually, this will make it. Those are from my age, even though I'm only 28. I remember when I was watching like something like Tremors or something on Sci-Fi Channel or um, Twilight Zone or I think no, not MXC. That was on Spike. That's fucking show. I remember. Um, that show. I remember that. Yeah, uh, but you know, watching something on Sci-Fi and they were doing the advertisements for the the Shining, like they were actually selling a ramp up advertising. So I remember I watched it. My parents would be watching it. Like I remember the first show, and my parents were like, "Are they?" Re-? My dad, me and my parents, were like, "Are they doing a new Shining?" And I was like, "What's that?" He goes, uh, "Don't worry about it. Wait till you're older." <laughs> Damn, I don't even remember the first time I watched The Shining. I I had to have been young, at least you know, 12, 13 years old. I don't guess it, I guess it wasn't traumatizing because I remember the first time I watched The Thing and Hellraiser and I was much younger. But <laughs> The Shining, I must have been old enough to watch it because I don't remember it. <laughs> it became one of my favorites, but I do not remember the first time putting that on. I remember I read the book first, actually, and my dad made a bet. This was back when the video show was still around in Blanco. And he was like, hey, when you finish the book, I think they have it at the video store, rent it, but you had to finish the book first. Mm-hmm. So I finished it, like, I think in a week. So I was like, well, I want to watch this movie. 
then we rinsed it and watched it and I was like, oh, this is good. So I think The Shining is the first book I ever rent I ever checked out from the Blanco High School Library. I when I got here, I was like I had just started uh reading King and I checked out The Shining and I was like, this is very different from the movie I watched. And then I went immediately to the Dark Tower with like no previous books read. Like I didn't get any of the references because I didn't I hadn't read the stand, I hadn't read it. Like I was just going in blind on the Dark Tower. And I still really liked it, but I would love to read it again, having read so much more of his work, because I feel like I'd appreciate it a lot more. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried holding out on the Dark Tower as long as I could because I was like, I need to read more work or at least be familiar with more of his work before I read that. Cause yeah, he trusts so much. Yeah. Nobody told me. I had nobody like nobody told me like, hey, you should read this stuff first. I was just like, I want that, I want that, and I want that. <laughs> I just didn't know. That's why like they were like, you really know a lot of shit that's going on. Maybe so I was like, because I've since been since I've been a kid, been internet research like crazy. So like I'm always on stuff research and seeing like how I should do this. So and that's why David King, I was like, okay, wait on Dark Tower. So I went to the Blanco uh public library to get my dark my uh stephen king books they had a fucking sick collection of stephen king books i've i recently you know since i've you know had podcast and the website and everything and i've really devoted my time more to you know exploring film i have a you know an, an established ritual now with king if i haven't read the book yet i'm not watching the movie like i read the book first then i watch the movie i did that with the dark half 1922 like I allotted time during the podcast, like during the schedule to read a full fucking book before we talked about it. It was, it was fun, but that's how I roll now. No, I'm with you. I tried to do those new books. Um, I actually have two of them sitting on three. If you count later, sitting on my shelf that I need to read because like the deployment, everything got me behind, but whenever the movers get here, I'm going to make sure they don't touch those books. And take them with me to the hotel so I can get started reading. So I know, what is it? It's July, right? It's July. Next yeah. month, he's coming out with a new book, so I need to get caught back up. Fuck, already? Jesus. Yeah, he's Billy Summers, because I forget that King just doesn't know how to not write. He unlike can't. George, I was like, I'm like George R. R. Martin, who cannot get the last two Game of Thrones books out to save his life. Well, I read about King's process. Ten pages a day? That's that's manageable as hell. And, and he just writes till the, till the project's done. And, you know, he writes 10 pages a day. That's his work of the day. Whereas Martin, I don't know what the fuck's going on over there. <laughs> I had that kid I was telling you about, he really tried defending him. He's like, look, he's just, he's making, he's making perfection. There you go. I am not, I don't want to rush him. He's being an artist. I'm like, no, he's being a fat piece of shit. And getting his hands too involved in other shit instead of focusing on the last few books that the fans want. I was like, I'm sorry. You don't try to pull the well, his work is really dense. So was Tolkien's work, and he still got Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and the Sonoyan. So Mary, whatever, you know what I mean? Ilmarillion. That one all completed in his lifetime. And he created a whole fucking reward. He had like extra excess shit he was working on, Kurt Amarn, and get all that shit out, no problem. But you want to talk dense? Look at Frank Herbert's Dune series. That's 34,000 years worth of material. And he wrote it. <laughs> he, he finished it. I mean, his kids are writing extra shit, but that, that doesn't count. No, yeah. It's like, so no, there's no excuse. He's just being lazy. It's like, stop being involved. Come on, start getting involved in so much other fucking work that's being adapted. 
Stop helping HBO try to bank on Game of Thrones. All right, it's done. Sorry, HBO, you fucked up with that last season. No one wants your shit. I, I don't blame HBO at all, at all. They well, are as many episodes. They're like, we'll give you more seasons, yeah. more episodes, and they're like, we don't need it. Yeah. Okay. In all fairness, yeah, they they're suffering from too idiotic. If anything, they're trying to recoup everything they lost because of that final season. Yeah, thanks to the two showrunners that, thank God, Hollywood looked at that season and went, never hire these people for shit. Because I haven't seen them pop up even once since then. In the time since A Dance with Dragons came out, Martin's written like three or four like side projects to Game of Thrones, like history books about Targaryens and whatnot. He's partnered on like adapting one of his other non-fantasy books to uh tv he's doing everything but finishing this up and i feel like now it's just like he's thinking why bother yeah that's why i like it like i actually was interested in reading outside of like king and horror i like fantasy stuff a lot so i was interested in reading game of thrones but once i saw that like he was not going to get off his ass and finish those books i was like no i was like look i'm a completionist there's only how i want to read these books and then be left hanging because the writer can't get off his ass to finish it I, I read the first three books. Like I was I was in, and I just was like, just why bother? By the time I'm done, he's not gonna be. So like, what am I waiting for? And then I then you know the finale happened, and I'm like, oh hell no! I immediately moved on to better things, as did pretty much everybody else. Yeah. Anyway, King, yeah, I'm reading Under the Dome right now, and uh, it's a dense one, but it's pretty good so far. That's a good one. I almost, when, I get, when I finally touch my stack, I'm going to do the Institute. That's the earliest of the new run I haven't read yet, so I need to read that, that one. Was, that was great. Institute was awesome. And one of the rare cases where I felt he stuck the landing. Oh. Yeah, I liked the ending to that. Okay, I was about to say, as much as I love King, he's not exactly known for sticking the landing all the time. No, it sucks. But uh, yeah, good book. Kind of a spiritual sequel to Firestarter. Okay. I was hearing hints about that when I read the synopsis. For sure. It's a, it's a great book. The, the protagonist is such a great kid. You're like rooting for him the whole time. You're like, this kid's so smart. It's, ah, it's a great read. I really, I'm looking forward to a movie of that one. I mean, it, it's probably going to happen someday. All these new books come out and get bought within like a month of release. Yeah, bring it. Um, the Perfection has an IMDb score of 6.2, Rotten Tomatoes score of 72%. I don't think it was a success considering Netflix didn't really market it and I haven't really heard of it till Caleb brought it up. I hope more people seek it out. It deserves more attention. It's definitely one of the better films Netflix has done with their own studio. Yeah, it bugs me that no one seems to be talking about this movie. I'm like, all the movies I've heard people are not shut up out on Netflix. Like, Army of the F- Fucking Dead. But somehow, that's going that Netflix is going all in on. But this one, people just... No one talks about it. I'm like, god damn it. Maybe it's too dark for people. I get that. That can be the case sometimes. But I mean... True, you're talking to a guy that has sat through all of a Serbian film, so, yeah. Yeah, dark to you is pretty subjective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, a different man that night. <laughs> so the perfection is not your average 
horror movie. It's kind of, it, it plays with a lot of different possibilities, which I think a lot of horror films don't do. And I thought that was really cool. Kind of thinks like, oh, is this a psycho killer movie? Oh, is this a monster movie? Could this be a zombie movie? And it kind of th- like gives you a lot of threads and it doesn't pull on all of them. And that was neat. Yeah. It, to me, I can't believe it. I thought of Shrek. I know in the the, don- the line that don- line that Donkey says about, you know, ogres have layers, onions have layers. This movie has layers. <laughs> it's like an onion. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, I got struck into this. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> it has layers, and it like it purposely waits to a certain point to go. All right, now to peel back this layer and give you more of the story, but not all of it. And that's why, like, it's like, all right, we'll give you more story, but not the whole thing yet. We're not yeah. ready for that. So it's like as the layer gets unveiled, you go, oh, okay, so we're going in this direction. And right when you start thinking this is how it's going to go, the next layer gets unveiled. And you're like, oh shit, never mind. Like I literally, this was one of the few movies where I could not tell you how the fuck it was going to end because at first i was like oh it's gonna be a this this virus contagion type thing nope not that okay she is i guess what jealous of this new one that's what's going on okay got it and they unveil another you're like oh shit okay that's not it what the fuck's going on here the second like prestigious you know all girls music school came up i immediately thought oh this is suspiria isn't it but no, it's not witchcraft. It's plain old regular evil. Yeah, it. Yeah, it. I learned, and even at the end, when you finally go, oh, okay, got it. With the uh, Liz, right, the one that got her hand cut off. You think, oh shit, there's no way. Why would she do this to her? But then at the, again, that twist, the final, the final unveil, and you're like, oh. So yeah, like I said, I, I literally, it's one of the few horror films where I could suddenly be like, I don't know how this movie's going to fucking end because it keeps changing its, its shit on me. The way it, <laughs> the way it handled a flashback, it, it had kind of a Guy Ritchie vibe. Like the way they, you know, the, they backpedaled and re- rewound everything to show you, oh, this is what really happened. That was so cool. Yeah, it's Guy Ritchie and a little bit of Funny Games. I don't know if you've seen Funny Games. I haven't seen Funny Games. Oh man, so... You've probably heard, you have you heard of the scene I'm about to say? No, I know nothing about that movie because I've I've heard it's disturbing and weird, and I shouldn't like I've been keeping away from it, so I'm not spoiled anything. I apologize. Scratch. What I'm going can, to say then, if you want, I can just hold my ears and you can address the audience. <laughs> nope, but there's a certain thing in the funny games that when you finally do watch funny games, that made me go oh shit funny games but i, I won't spoil it because now because you haven't seen it <laughs> really took away my thunder there um, according to letterbox i have seen nearly 700 horror movies cut me some slack i can't watch all of them <laughs> i'm doing my best <laughs> my god um <laughs> yeah i like how this movie kind of you know lulls you in it teases you with different possibilities the guy you know throwing up in the in the theater and then saying like oh there's some weird flu coming out of Hunan like I love that doesn't mean anything but the way it's built up it's I really appreciated like this was like it felt like a surprise birthday party you know what I mean this movie felt yeah. like you know I think I know what's going to happen but then I get home and it was nothing close to what I thought was going to happen. 
Yeah. No, like very few movies can do that. And I love when it does, when it happens. When I am truly yeah. shocked, it's such a great moment. Oh, yeah, it's it's brilliant. Because, yeah, like they say that quick throw early and, oh, there's this thing in Kudan. And it's like, no, it ends up the guy literally just was sick. He just probably got food poisoning. You know, that was it. <laughs> um, I do like, in a way, with that couple, like, I, I noted it. If you pay attention to, like, her dialogue, when they're in the, watching the, the the children perform and she's commenting on the cheating couple, yeah. you kind of pay attention. It's almost the, them spelling out the movie and how this movie is going to go. Because you, you see, like you know, the hands going up to the you know to the dick, but then the camera cuts. So it's almost like in the weird sort of way. I wonder if like that was their way of kind of telling you like this is going to be a movie that's going to just keep cock teasing you till the end, and then <laughs> we'll finally give you everything. Oh my God, you're right. This movie's a cock tease. I never, that's great. I, I caught right. that. Yeah. I, this is my second time watching it. So I was paying attention to shit that I didn't really pay attention to the first time. And I caught that. I was like, I wonder if this was like a metaphor for the movie I'm about to get. <laughs> <laughs> One little thing I noticed that I was, I was getting right. I wrote it down as a complaint, but then it ended up being like, all right. So when they're on the bus, the, the first, you know, when you don't know what's going on mm-hmm. and she, uh, Lizzie's like, I need more ibuprofen. And Charlotte pours out ibuprofen. I'm like, those pills are way too big to be ibuprofen. They really fucked up there. I wrote that down as a like, they should have known that. But then later I'm like, oh, it's hallucinogenic painkillers. All right. That makes sense then. That's not even ibuprofen. I, I was like, they show you straight up. If you know what ibuprofen looks like, you know Charlotte's fucking with her. Yeah. But well, you, I just thought it was a movie mistake. Yeah. Well, and to me, another moment that I felt that way that if again they get you by just doing a simple what seems like a movie mistake was like the scene when she pulls out the thing and she kind of just shyly delivers the line you know what you have to do i remember watching it on is she just not trying to act anymore in this movie like what what happened like this is getting kind of bad now and then they do the whole fucking re- the rewind and i'm like oh no because she knew what the fuck was going on okay Fuck. So the movie does a great job of making you think, is this a movie problem? And before it goes, no, it's not. We know what we're doing. Fuck you. Rewind. Now pay attention. Yeah, for sure. Um, so some things I just want to point out. Uh, when we when we hear them play for the first time, Charlotte and Lizzie, there is something so creepy about that duet. I don't know what it is. For me, strings have always gotten under my skin uh, when it comes to horror scores cello especially that instrument is the scariest thing to ever happen to horror movies <laughs> but them two together it's almost like they're they're showing off their potential and charlotte's a little bit rougher with it like you know her potential's been you know fucked and i noticed that going in and then it you know it pays off in the end like you get why she's so not not exactly graceful anymore. You know, she's playing for her. Whereas Lizzie is still playing as part of this cult. Yeah. It's, so it's a little detail like that that really hold you in. It's fucking well, great. They do it for all the cello scenes too, if you notice. Like, because with, with that, along with what you're pointing out, also got a real like sensual overtone in that first one when they're playing together. Yeah. As they're cutting their, you know, between what their fun night out and then ultimately them sleeping together. So it's almost like there was a central overtone and then they turn around at the end and take all of that way to create a very intense, just edge of your fucking seat. Like you're praying it goes well. 
cello scene. You know, like the cello scenes are fucking. I'm not even like I'm not a musical guy by any means. Like I'm a metal dude guy. Like for fans we have, I'm a metal guy. Like so for me, like to get me like that into your cello scenes, like fuck, like yeah, X. Both of them were just expertly well done. Well, I fucking love classical and um, film scores, especially. So I, I enjoy a nice cello. And now I'm this movie freaked me out with with the cello. I kept thinking, like you know, what what is this alluding to? Like, what is this? It's like a uh, there's a term for it. Um, I don't know. It's like a calm before the storm situation. Like, all right, here's the best. <laughs> comparison I can make Spongebob Mr. Krabs his millionth dollar trapped you know out on the ocean suddenly he starts hearing the music and he's like oh no it's the orchestra we gotta get that dollar back that's what it felt like he opens the damn door stop it stop playing you hear the music you're like oh shit what does this mean what's happening next <laughs> is mayonnaise an instrument no mayonnaise is not an instrument <laughs> Let's, let's, let's not go down the Spongebob tangent. <laughs> uh, so one thing I thought this really captured is the horror of being sick in a foreign country. Uh, yes, because I was about to say, I really want to talk about this bus scene because both times I, and for me, this is my second time watching the movie. And that scene was still just as intense. And after, I knew what was going to happen. And I was still like sitting there going, fuck, this is a tense scene. Like, and it's because of how they film it, the performances, when she's, like, sitting there bawling that she can't even move or she's going to shit herself. It's like, you feel it. Like, you are like, God, this, I would hate to be in this situation right now. Yeah. It's, personally, it hasn't happened to me, but it has happened to family. Uh, two, two of my cousins got really severe food poisoning in Colombia, And, uh... I just, I can't imagine being, you know, stuck in a foreign country. You don't speak the language. You don't know where the hell you are. You don't know where to find a hospital. You don't know if anybody's even willing to help you. And you feel like your fucking skull's on fire and you're about to shit out your guts. Like, what a nightmare. That's scarier than anything in this film. Like, you could die out here and no one would fucking know it. Yeah, and you see how the the bus passengers are reacting. Like, yeah, some, yeah the one that speaks English that's actually helpful and trying to help them. But the bus driver's being a dick and doesn't want to help. Everyone's trying to stay away from them. I just like, again, the English-speaking one and the lady that gives them water. Like, no one's willing to help them. And all they're asking is, like, can you get us a hospital? Like, your version of a hospital. That's all they're asking. Yeah. How did Charlotte bet on the bus driver leaving them in the middle of the Chinese wilderness? I think she might have had an idea of how foreign people work. Yeah, I remember, like, in foreign countries, especially where they were at, Korea, a lot of the uh, Asian countries are punctual human beings, unlike America. And so he was probably getting mad that his time was getting fucked up. And the idea of, like, foreigners, you know, a lot of people don't realize, like, in a lot of these countries, there's still very much, like, a foreigner standoffish there. Yeah. Um, you know, in Japan, I've heard it from a lot, being in the neighborhood, a lot from um Maybe folks that get stationed there. I forget the name for it, but there's actually places that if you go out to do stuff in Japan, they will put signs up. I forget the word, but it's basically like no outsiders allowed. Oof. So 
there's still a level of like I don't know if it's like necessarily racism. I don't know what it's necessarily called for like this take this case, but like if you're not from here, you know, fuck off. And that's probably what she was betting on. That like, okay, we're two Americans, so we just have to make enough for a scene for them to kick us off the bus. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I it made sense. I just thought like that's a hell of a lucky break for Charlotte. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it is, but I mean that's just like that's what I that's just what I got from based on my time in the military is that they were she's probably betted on like foreign people and how they view us and how they would handle that kind of situation. But it is like it's trying and it's placing an incredible bet on yourself. <laughs> well, just the whole plan of getting somebody to cut off their own arm is wild and so brilliant the way they did it. The way they make, like, you're seeing the hallucination. You think that there's fucking bugs all over her because of this weirdo flu. That's probably some kind of, you know, Chinese gas or something. I don't know. But, um, yeah. oh God, that it made my skin crawl. So when I saw those damn bugs on her arm, I was like, oh, I get puke. I had to stop and regroup. I was like, Jesus Christ. I, I can't, I can't handle bugs. Ugh. Oh yeah, the idea that there were maggots. Like when I, when you first know what's going on, like I don't want to throw up maggots. That sounds horrendous. Oh, this smells really gross at first. Yeah, this smells really gross at first. And then the you know the bugs come out of her arm. Like I fucking cut it off too. Like well done, Charlotte. Yeah, she was quick. Like she just put, you know what you gotta do, and without even asking, just grabbed it and started cutting. I, was like, I had this, I had this like really. She brought a fucking cleaver. Like, is this oh, this thing's goofy, isn't it? But then they did the backtrack, and I'm like, oh no, this was a very well thought out plan. <laughs> that's why I said, like, that's like, I know, like, for you, you said it was a you know, your moment of like, okay, that's a movie mistake. It was for me here where I almost went, all right, I guess this is not the way I thought it was going to be, and I'll probably be checking out in the next five minutes. And then they did the rewind, I went, oh no, never mind. And then for Lizzie to go back and be like, you know, that fucking bitch cut off my arm. And they're like, well, bye. <laughs> like, how callous and cold. But yeah, like, if, you know, she's their star pupil, the most famous cellist in the world. If she can't play, what use is she to them? So, so fucking sad. Well, I mean, just the fact that they want help in any way. I mean, they did offer to pay for, a, for an apartment. That was, that was nice. But they are rapists, so it's. it's I was like, that's what what they ultimately did to her, but it kind of speaks like that. Uh, what what would you call like? I don't know. She just had Stockholm syndrome or whatever mentality that she had that caused her to kind of break and accept what was happening in her life. It's kind and of. I think Stockholm syndrome is the right. Okay, situation. that because she even pointed out. Charlie points out like I had to do this for you to finally realize they don't you're not useful to them if you can't play. Because remember, she didn't believe her, and she went back thinking, oh, no, they'll, they'll help me out, and they were like, be gone. Bye, Felicia. Yeah, bye, Felicia. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, they don't care. Well, I mean, the whole idea of, <coughs> of the perfection, that these girls are conditioned to believe that, you know, Anton's dick is the only way to be the best like that is so disturbing that these that he has conditioned these girls to believe that only he can give them greatness through that 
and they don't do anything about it. They believe like, okay, well, if he says it, it must be true because they're so young and innocent. They don't know anything else. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I actually did not see the rape part coming at first. I really didn't. At first when they were doing it, I was like, well, maybe he's like hitting them or something. Like there's something going on. Like rape was not on my mind. And then you see him leave the scene and she's, you know, balling as a little goer. And it luckily fades a good chunk of it out. So you don't see much, but you see enough to know that, oh, oh my God, he's naked. Oh, oh, oh God. Oh, it's like, it hits you and just all at once. And you're like, Oh, 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 it's this kind of, oh God. Oh, while boy. they were, while he was talking to Charlotte as a child, while he was talking about how she disgraced the, the chapel, whatever, that crazy shit. I had a feeling it, it was like, I figured, you know, physical abuse would not be enough to, for this to be horrifying. So I thought, I think he's, I think he's, I think he's, you know, abusing these kids. And it was true. But just that everyone in there would go along with it was a rape cult. It was like it really made me think about you know prep schools and uh, like academies that don't have you know constant parental supervision. They really get to do whatever the fuck they want to these kids. And that's why people can make fun of public school all they want. That's where my fucking kids are going. Yeah, at least I know what the fuck's happening at public school. Yeah, exactly. I. You know, I was listening. I, I'm a big fan of um, Time Suck, uh, Dan Cummins' podcast. I've, I've talked about it a couple times on these shows. I listened to his uh, Scared to Death one. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Love you. Hail Nimrod. Anyway, um, he did an episode uh, earlier this year on the Elon School, a, um, a school for wayward kids up in Maine that for like 30 years was just raping and assaulting children for so long. Cause nope, like people would send their misbehaving kids there and we're told you'll get results. Just don't follow. Like don't question our methods. And they were doing anything to these kids. It was so fucked up. You were like, they were pitting kids against each other in like a fucking fight club. And you could only leave once you became old enough to be an abuser. Like, once you accepted that you are now hurting the kids, then you could leave, but nobody fucking left because they'd been conditioned. It was so sick. And, it, like, for 30, 30, 40 years, this place was that. It got shut down in, like, 2003. Like, this was not, you know, hundreds of years ago. This was, like, not even, like, it's it was crazy. It, oh, yeah. Look, man, I, I'm not a parent yet. So I know I said the kid coming. I'm not a parent yet. But if I do have kids, if they ever come up to me going, so we can do this for your child, you just, you can't, you can't ask about all ways. You cannot question them. Like, oh, fuck you. My child's like going there then. Like, yeah. that's just, to me, that is like, you know, you know how like there's red flags in relationships? There's red flags with your fucking children. Like, when it comes to your children, if they say something a certain way, no, fuck you. Stay the hell away from my child. I hope I'm the kind of parent who actively listens to what my kid has to say. But when I have children, I hate when parents are just, you know, shrugging off everything their kid says because he's not old enough to know what the fuck's going on. I think kids are incredibly perceptive and they know what's going on more than we do most of the time. Yeah, it's amazing how that happens. Uh, I know you don't like them because you left during their concert, uh, but Corn famously, or I guess infamously, yeah, got that. Corn uh, on their first album had a song called Daddy. That song is about the lead singer getting raped. 
Jesus. as a child. Now, a lot of people thought, oh my God, you're dead. He's like, no, he goes, no, that's not actually what happened. He goes, it was his uh, a neighbor or a babysitter, I forget, that he would go over to stay with whenever his parents were gone. And when he went to go tell his parents, they didn't believe him. Jeez. That's why he called it daddy. And the song's infamous because it it fucking goes there. Like he describes in great length what happened. And it's infamous that towards the end, they kept the part of the recording at the end of the song where he broke down and started crying. And it's in the it's in the song. They didn't cut it Jeez. out. And like he legit, like he's, the music stops and he's, you can hear him so kind of going. And also he's just sobbing and the song finally ends. And it's, yeah, so it's, I bring that up to go with your point. Cause yeah, it's, you know, here's someone who has made millions of dollars now, you know, he's living a great life. Right. And yet when he was a kid, he got touched and his parents weren't listening to him. And it's just, I don't know, like it, how do you, as a parent, if your kid comes up to you about anything like that, you just go, oh, whatever. I don't understand that type of like parent mentality. Like that's your kid. If someone, if my kid ever came and said like, so-and-so touched me and said, right, I'm going to go after that motherfucker. Holy shit, man. That, uh, that does not sound like a pleasant uh, listening experience. I've, I've listened to the song once because I was curious and yeah, it's tough. Uh, he, for years, even when it was just that album, they were like, that's all he like play on stage was anything off that album. He would not play it. Um, it took over 20 years when they did a 20th like anniversary um, live performance of the album that he agreed, I will do it this one time for this performance. And they said when he did it live, he broke down again. And he was like, I'm never doing this again. I only did it for this one occasion. Oh, my God. Well, that is... A very sad story. <laughs> not, to bring, not to bring it down, but to go with your line of like, I don't, yeah, like, I don't, I just don't understand that parent mentality at all. Like, how do you let something like that happen and not believe your kid? I don't. I... If you ever, see, first off, I do want to make it clear. I did not leave a corn concert. Alice in Chains and Corn were touring together. Alice in Chains went on first. I left after you that. Left, you left. I'm not a fan of corn. It was a co concert so you technically left a corn concert if they had separate merch booths it is an alice in chains concert followed by a corn concert it was a corn and alice in chains concert because you went when both were established artists so it was like the rob zombie marilyn manson concert i still left after i saw a band i liked because i didn't want to see a band i didn't really care for but i have no regrets you stayed for manson manson was there first I stayed for zombie. <laughs> yeah, that's who I was there for. The point being is that you left during corn. So if hopefully some fans out there are into corn like I am and yeah. rally behind me. Way to just torpedo our whole fan base that likes corn. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie The Hunt with uh, Mads Mikkelsen, 2012? I haven't seen that one. I, the hunt, the one I'm thinking of was that really shitty one that I hated. Oh, yeah. No, this was completely different. This is about a, a teacher who is falsely accused of sexually assaulting one of his siblings. I mean, not siblings. Uh, Jesus Christ. One of, his, one of the kids he teaches. Uh, the kid had, like, had been shown some porn by his, her older brother and got, mm-hmm. got in, like, her signals mixed up and said something about the teacher's penis. 
but she never actually, he never did anything. You know, from the beginning, he didn't do anything, but the entire town immediately wants to kill him. And he has to like defend himself in the court of public opinion. And he's like, everyone hates him. And like the kid's brother tries to kill him. It's such a sad movie, but it really shows you kind of the opposite of that. Like it's, it's hard. It is, you have, you should believe children, but at the same time, children do mix shit up sometimes. So how many lives are destroyed that way by accident? It's, it's, it's a, a rough pro- situation in any, yeah. Yeah. It's a hard situation where we're like, but it's like, you see that we don't, it's like, we can't figure out a middle ground. We go to one, one or two extremes later. We just, just disprove, you know, don't take the kid for anything. And then they legit get, you know, molested for years. Yeah. Or we believe wholeheartedly and go after someone that they even end up doing it. What I would argue is that if it's like it's a child that just says they're, we're doing this, investigate that. Don't just, you know, throw it away. A teenager there's been too many cases of teenagers trying to be petty or ruin lives or be vindictive that I would I would look into that. I'd be like, let's look in that before we do anything. What you should what you should do in all cases is investigate, but investigate quietly until there's actual proof found or confessions made or something. Then go public. Don't go public with accusations. That's how yeah. you destroy people. Yeah. I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah. So mainly I will say this. I've heard a lot of stories of like that happening with like a teenager and someone where they were, yeah, they just, it's like, they don't care about ruining lives. So they'll just come up with a lie and then not they'll double down as if like, this is the time to do it to ruin someone's life. So yeah. Wow. This got dark. Um, Talking about a movie where kids are, implied rape luckily thank god we don't see it because america doesn't want to see that no one wants to see that no one wants to see that trust me uh, uh ptsd is happening for a certain film uh there's two movies that will never be talked about on this show or any of our shows and one of them is a serbian film i'm not sitting through that i'm not going to force any of my team to sit through that i've already sat there it's fine but I didn't force you to, so I have no guilt. In fact, I don't know why the fuck you sat through that. Jesus Christ. Respect yourself. <laughs> you didn't read anything? You didn't read like, oh well, man, the, maybe that, I no, wouldn't enjoy this. That's the thing. So I'm so jaded in horror that when they say this movie is like the most fucked up thing or the most curious thing, it triggers a part of my mind that goes, I want to see it. And that's what what happened with certain films. I was like, there, everyone's talking about like, oh my god, it's so fucked up. Don't watch it. It's, there's so much gross shit. I didn't know what gross shit because I was staying away from all the gross shit. And my buddy had it when I was in college, and he, he was showing me a lot of other foreign films like Old Boy and Audition. Um, I saw The Devil, a lot of different stuff. And he's like, hey, you think you're ready? You want to do certain He had it, and I was like, all right, let's do it. And I'm one of those that, like, for the most part, like, I will sit and watch the entire movie no matter how much I'm not liking it. And, yeah, it really backfired there because at no point does the film just, like, finally start pulled back. It just keeps ramping things up. But, did you, so this guy, did he, like, did you give him a look of, like, what the fuck is wrong with you? 
No, I still talk to him. He's still a very good friend of mine. Ugh. I just respect that he likes the movie and I won't ever sit through it again. I okay well damn see i yeah i'm not i don't need that shit in my life i don't i'm not doing that i mean you know have you ever taken a shower and you just don't feel clean even in your soul no because i don't watch nightmarish shit like that yeah that's what happened there i couldn't like straight up i'll I'll be blunt right now i couldn't masturbate for like a week without (laughs) thinking of that fucking movie see i also don't need that hold up in my life it, yeah, that, that movie, oh, man, it fucks me up. But you know what? Nothing's fucked me up since. See, that's another thing. I don't need the bar set too high to the point where I can't enjoy anything else. That would just ruin this whole podcast. <laughs> if I can't enjoy any of these movies, what's the fucking point? <laughs> movie really has to go out there now to like raise the bar of the Serbian film set. God. Anyway... I don't think anybody's expecting the big reveal that Charlotte is, in fact, the good guy of the movie. No, because the movie literally until then makes you think that she's the bad guy. Because, again, I I call it like the second layer. All you see is she gets attacked in her home, runs over to the the boarding boarding house, right? They say, hey, just keep an eye out, blah, blah, blah. She gets or no, she runs to the boarding house first, I think. Hold on. I'm fuck- no, that's right. Gets attacked. Charlotte fucking takes her ass over there in the car. Then that's when they talk in the living room and he fucking grabs her and takes her down to the room. So you're thinking, oh shit, she's a bad guy. She's getting her comeuppance. But then the movie drops the next fucking layer of like, no, this is this has been one big part of the fucking plan that we're now getting privy to. Yeah. This is a rape cult that was established by Anton's grandfather because he believed they all believe this family that sexually assaulting young girls can lead to their, like their experiencing their ultimate potential and create like turning them into vessels for God's music. Like what the fuck? Cult, man. Gotta, gotta hate them. Oh, I didn't, you just have to like, you start thinking about like, how did, how did like the grandfather come with this and the rest of the family clearly fell in line with it. His wife is fine with it. How the fuck do you bring that up to her and convince her that this is a good thing to do to another that's, woman? That's got to be, yeah. Well, you, you get the sense that Paloma isn't on 100% on board. She has these fleeting moments of like, I don't like watching this. But I think, you know, he's he's got her, you know, toe in the line somehow, threats or I don't know. I... I Cult leaders are weird like that. They they have the ability to convince people to do fucking anything. There's real life cult leaders who said like God wants me to sleep with your wives and fuck your children, and they're like, all right, well if God wants it, like that's that happens all the fucking time. So many cults out there, it's crazy. If you have the power to manipulate people like that, you can do anything. If you have the power to manipulate desperate, hopeless people, yeah, people that are just. They got nothing left to live for and no belief anything being said to them. So that tends to be how they get their people. Sometimes there are the occasional, like, you know, up, upstanding, smart people who fall into this shit. It's weird, but it does happen. Like the Illuminati. Illuminati confirmed. Oh my God. No. 
they are full of shit. I'm talking like Heaven's Gate, Jonestown, the Manson family. Freemasons. The real cults who are dangerous. Stop diluting this. These are real psychos. (laughs) (laughs) The Freemasons, all they do is put on funny hats and exchange business secrets. That's all they do. So they want us to think. Son of a bitch. Lizard people? All right. The cult that believes lizard people, they're they're the ones we need to be afraid of. Yeah. To quote Dan Cummins once again, we don't need to be afraid of lizard people. We do need to be afraid of people who believe in lizard people. <laughs> oh. Lizard people, man, they're they're implanted in the US of A government, right? <laughs> I'm not I'm not playing. I'm not playing catch you know, with you. We're not doing you know, that. You don't want to play this game with me? I do not want to play conspiracy you know, theorist. You know how many conspiracy theories I have to hear when I call certain people in my life? I'm so sorry. Dude, my grandpa firmly believes in lizard people. <laughs> I'm like 80% sure my dad's a flat earther. He just won't admit it. He tried to I convince really, me of the fucking Arctic ice wall. Every time I hear the flat earth people, I just want somebody to be like, if you believe it's so good, so, so much. Walk the earth and then tell me how it went. There, These people firmly believe that you can just walk off the face of the planet and just drift into the fucking void. Like, I uh, drift off into the fucking twilight zone. Just dun, 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 dun. My favorite part of it is that all of the, in their crazy viewpoint, only earth is flat. The rest of the planets are round, but only earth is flat. It, it's so fun getting older and not believing in conspiracy theories because when you hear these conspiracy theories, you start to be like, are you paying attention to anything you're saying? Like, you know, the whole vaccine stuff, like, I won't get it because it puts a chip in you. You're telling me this on FaceTime. You're using your phone right now. So what the fuck are you trying to get at? <laughs> you know, on the Flat Earth Facebook page, it says they have members all around the globe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, I want I want a flat Earth globe, so I can just have that. I love how much power they give to NASA. Like they think NASA is this like global corporation that is paying off millions of soldiers and scientists and politicians. NASA hasn't been able to get decent funding since the eighties. Like NASA is broke. They can't afford shit. Like how are they paying off? everybody on the planet to keep this the only reason they're afloat is because they partnered with the fucking United States Air Force and now they're partnering with the United States Space Force fuck yeah NASA Space Force (laughs) I'm so down for Space Force mainly because I watched the show so I'm so down for Space Force sometimes I feel like I'm living in a fucking mad TV sketch (laughs) (laughs) like I wake up and I'm like people believe the earth is flat they believe that they don't want the government to track them while they're carrying cell phones in their pocket, and we have a fucking space force. This is not reality. This is a cartoon. And yet, all this shit happens. We make fun of it. The government fully admits to aliens, and we just went, all right. I know. They fully, it's- finally confirmed it. They went, yeah, some, a, a couple of these things or other countries testing stuff and us. But what are they? I think they said like what 90 or some high fucking percentage. Yeah, it was like 90. Yeah, they were like, I think it was like 90. They were like 90% of it. We don't fucking know. 
They, yeah. they literally were like, yes, we don't know. Aliens are more than likely grow because we don't know what the fuck this is. The military said aliens are the most likely outcome of this. And no one fucking cared. No one batted an eye. There was no, like, then show us Area 51 finally. No, nothing. Yet, you know, the flat earthers get talked about for fucking months. And I'm like, how is it the flat earth people get more impressed than the fact that we just confirmed aliens? Like, our government confirmed aliens. Which means, what's going on in Area 51, guys? Huh? Come on. Come on. Maybe the oh. aliens will show up with, like, a giant-ass bicycle pump and make the spherical Earth happen. I feel like at this point, aliens will come to Earth and they'll leave and everyone will just go, oh, okay. I would love if they came here, looked around, and were like, nah, and then just left. They come like, here and immediately meet someone that's yelling at them about gender. <laughs> they visibly land, they look around, they see, you know, everything we do to ourselves, and they're just like, I it's not worth it. And they just take off. And we never hear from them again. Because they tell the interstellar community, like, stay the fuck away from that place. <laughs> Jesus. They're having, like, they got people in the capital. They're going on. They're yelling at people about misgendering. I don't know what. Like, I, it's crazy down there. There's a lot of craziness happening there, guys. Just stay the fuck out. Stay the fuck out of there. Let them deal with their own problems. <sighs> Cold. one... This one state car, Texas, keeps threatening to become its own fucking country. I, I don't know what's happening down there. <laughs> <laughs> they got cowboys with assault rifles down there. Like, what's going on? Um, yeah, so cults, uh, dangerous. And most people who are in them don't fucking realize they're in them. No, and also we are tangenting so good on this movie. I know. I. It just, it brings up so many talking points of, you know, we get to talk about know cults and rape and aliens aliens for some reason but yeah cults and rape mainly but rape is not exactly a fun thing to talk about but you know what no. is flat earth dipshits and aliens <laughs> right yeah gee Sorry, um that's i turned out the turn scared the shit out of me uh <laughs> there's a moment i love towards the end of the movie when like some you know classical music is playing on the on the record player and Paloma walks in with a fucking needle in her back. She passes like she falls over and Anton sees Lizzie and Charlotte and the music switches to a rap song. You know, it's on. I'm like, oh shit, they're gonna fuck him up. <laughs> Which they do. Oh my god, do they fuck him up? This but, movie, it has like a not I won't say a lull because I always read lulls as a bad thing. But like it has like the really freaky beginning stuff with the vomit and the shitting, almost shitting oneself, and then gets incredibly violent at the end, and it's really kind of satisfying. Like when you see like him stab her arm, you're like, "Holy shit!" Because it does not cut away as like he is cutting oh. into her. It looked painful as fuck. Well, she cut it off. Like he ruined that arm. Yeah, that arm was done. <laughs> oh, and then yeah, you see him, and he's a fucking. He's a nugget. He's a nugget. Oh my god, <laughs> that's fucked up. Um, yeah, they just they cut off all his limbs. They cut his eyes out, or he, or they sew his eyes shut. They sew his mouth shut. Doesn't seem to didn't seem to do anything to the dick, which was surprising. I was surprised. I was like, this movie's willing to go there, but nothing to the dick. I guess like now he can't use it unless he does nugget porn. 
Okay, that's a thing that I just heard that is now in my head. Thank you so much. Don't look it up, but it is an actual thing. I don't intend to look it up. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I want you know. They told him straight up, like, we're going to use your, we're going to turn your balls into, into trinkets. And they, they did. Instead, they played a very interesting cello, cello piece together. To, in the chapel to show him, you know, they achieved the perfection without him, without his psycho ways. Without his dick. Without his dick, yes. They basically, yeah. Oof. Put it super blunt. Without his dick. What a fucked up movie, to be honest. Yeah. Like, it's smart, it's enjoyable, but oh my god. Yeah, no, it's it's really good. It is fucked up. Um, Actually, going back to your comment about, like, you know, rape not being funny, I do have a funny story involving rape, coincidentally. I know that's, like, not the best start, but hear me out. Uh, so when I was a wee lad, right, uh, back in 2009 when The Last House on the Left remake came out, I had no fucking idea what that movie was about. I was not familiar with the original. And my mom, I was just me and my mom at home one weekend. She's like, hey, you remember the movie? I was like, yeah, sure. I agreed to escape, not escape, race, race to Rich Mountain with The Rock because there was nothing else. We get there, we meet my aunt theater. I'm looking, I'm like, oh, cool, they're playing Last House. Like, there's only like, it was only like a five minute difference in the showings. And my aunt turns to me and goes, do you want to watch that instead? I dumbly, without hesitation, went, yes. Oh boy. It was me, my mom, my aunt, and the only other people in that theater was a couple. So I was the only one that made a mistake that day. Uh, and we're sitting there and they get to the scene, the long, protracted, never-ending scene. I'm sitting there, right? Just like, ah, oh, god damn it. And for some reason, I felt I need to look to where my mom and aunt were sitting. And I look and they're staring at me, and I'm like, <laughs> and I make eye contact and just look away because I'm like, I don't, I wasn't, I'm sorry, I didn't know. This is awkward for everyone involved. The only way I got through that scene was the, the couple was in front of us. I looked, and this chick is death glaring her boyfriend. <laughs> death glare. And all I could think was like, okay, I may have fucked up, but you, sir, are not getting laid. So really, you're the loser, not me. Because I'm just going to go home and have some ice cream and go to sleep, nonetheless, because I'm a child. Jesus um, Christ. So... There's a somewhat funny story where I mistaked the movie I watched. <laughs> uh, that reminds me of my uncle's confession to me once that he uh, he took a first date to see John Waters' Pink Flamingos. And uh, there was no second date. <laughs> I wonder why the whole incest blowjob and the crushing scene and yeah, yeah, in the eating dog shit at the end for some reason. Yeah, I wonder why. Huh. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you know, there's date movies and there's Pink Flamingos and Last House on the Left. <laughs> you don't, I mean, you better know this person wholeheartedly. Like, you gotta know what they're into, know that they won't fucking leave you over this before you show them a movie like that. Yeah, because like... <laughs> That's not a getting to know you movie. No, 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 no. Because, like, look, don't get me wrong. Like, I I understand it's just a movie, so I can watch these scenes knowing they're movies. 
and but at the same time, even for me, it's incredibly hard to watch those scenes because it's just there's something about that that's just so awful to sit through. And I definitely understand when women are not like I really don't want to watch me like that. So yeah, you have to like have a discuss if you're going on a date night one, don't let it be the first date, right? And you have to look at your one and be like, look, this is what this movie is about. So if like you're okay with that, we can go see it. If not, you might want to pick something else. Yeah, I I fucking despise rape scenes. I I hate when I have to watch one. I, I can I hate when I can tell that it's coming. It's the sickest shit to put in a movie as far as I'm concerned. Like I 100 percent kind of get murder sometimes. Like maybe somebody was talking shit. Maybe they had it coming. But I think rape is the worst thing you can do to a human being. Mm. Like it's just I wish it would carry the death penalty. I'd I fucking despise it. it. It's me. awful. I mean, with that said, would would I make I know some people say like you don't have to put the rape scene in. And with that, like obviously I'd rather just have an implied rape scene, but I feel like if it's not exploitative, if it's in service of the story. And there is gonna be a, a like a pay like a uh, a comeuppance on these people. You can put it in. I know it's incredibly tough to sit through. I understand it's incredibly tough to sit through, but like to me, like films like Last House work right because yeah, you have to sit through that scene, but then you, you see the comeuppance. Um, I mean, we get that with the perfection too. The comeuppance isn't any less earned, even though we don't actually see anything happen. We just know that it happened. Yeah. So I think it can work without needing to see all of that i'm not saying i want to see it but i'm saying if you are going to do it there better be a come up it's better not be exploitative and obviously they're not going to infection because it's kids like i would never i don't i it's uncomfortable to rape scene as is i definitely don't want to see a kid get raped and a movie that would just i would that would probably make me walk out well wait ah damn it serbian film yeah never mind you didn't fucking walk out did you Never mind, people. Okay, you know, fuck it. I've seen this. God damn it. Rape's hard to get through. At least give me, like, the pleasure of them having their comeuppance at the end of the movie. Oh, boy. This is, well, I won't say our darkest episode. Uh, to me, that still belongs to Song of the South. Mea culpa, by the way, everybody. I did not exactly know what I was getting into with that one. You, if you had picked any other day, but you felt the need to be like Christmas, this is... It was New Year's. Or it was New, New Year's. Year's, damn it. But it's still part of that like Christmas, New Year's festivities everybody feels. And you were like, Song of the South? Yeah, it was sad. It was uncomfortable. And I regret it. But... Yeah, well, that's pretty much it. I don't want to... Yeah, I, I don't ever want to watch that again. But zippity doo da is an infectious song. I will say that. Is that, wait, is that what that song comes from? Yeah. I never knew that. Oscar-winning song. Song of the South has an Oscar... Has two Oscar wins, actually. What's the other one? An honorary award for James Basket, who basically got an Oscar for playing such a kindly old black man. Like, that was the honorary award, and he couldn't even go to the ceremony because it was segregated. Yeah. I don't know why I brought that shit into this episode. Jesus Christ. It's already dark enough. Moving on. <laughs> Filmgasm facts. I only have one. And it is going to make this a darker episode. God. Yeah, that's right. 
Whether done intentionally or coincidentally, this film's plot and the timing of its release by Miramax suggests a rebuke of Harvey Weinstein's crimes. Weinstein founded Miramax in 1979 with his brother, uh, Bob. Bob, that's what it is. Bob Weinstein. I couldn't remember. I was like, I wanted to say like, I don't know. I wanted to say Max, but I'm like, that's the Jewish accountant from Family Guy. I know that's not, <laughs> that's not the Weinstein brother. Yeah, Bob, Bob Weinstein. Uh, Harvey was fired from Miramax for sexual abuse and rape in 2017. The parallels between Anton and Weinstein are obvious, and the overt feminism in the plot seems to be an attempt to distance Miramax from Weinstein's actions. Note that Miramax's holding companies have been trying to sell the company and all of its assets even before Weinstein's victims went public. And that means, you know, before they went public, but it's not like the Miramax executives didn't fucking know everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. This was everyone in Hollywood kind of knew about this. It was weird. Like the whole joke was like, don't be left in a room alone with Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> But seriously, don't be left alone in a room with Harvey Weinstein. Well, now you can't. That fucker's in jail, thank God. Yeah, he just pled not guilty to like 12 counts of rape. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can see this film being kind of a fuck you to Harvey Weinstein, kind of being retooled to be, you know, a pro-feminist anti-rape movie. I wonder if that was the original in, like intent or if this film got a little tweaked to kind of represent Miramax in the wake of all that shit. Yeah. If, I mean, if it did get tweaked, it's not noticeable because they don't, again, this is why I know we've talked about, like you've talked about a lot with like, you know, female empowerment films. Like these are the kind of films I want with this whole like trend on like, when I tell people like, cause I know I say on my end, like I hate when a movie pauses to fucking hammer home its message and focus on that instead of story. This is what I'm talking about. Like, here's a movie that, like, yeah, it probably did. It, it, it's a, you know, you get two strong female characters that get their comeuppance. Yeah, it has absolutely a very strong feminine side, but it doesn't beat you with it. It tells a really good story in the process of doing that. And yeah. because of it, it's why I've latched onto it so much. It's, it's, and if it was written in the case of Harvey Weinstein, hey, good. Cause then that means I'm just going to imagine him as a nugget instead of Stephen Rubber. <laughs> I'm waiting for him to die in prison. Either from like disease or a heart attack or big I mean, bugs or whatever. Like he was on like death row when I was seeing him for like the trial and he's like on the fucking walker. I'm like that dude looks like he's about to fucking croak any day now. That was probably a way to drum up sympathy. Like I'm just a little, you know, I'm just a sick old man. I couldn't hurt hurt nobody. I can. I like how he. How do you think that's gonna work, dude? Because we know what we know. The one thing you can do: sit down and force them to do things to you, which is how it's not a lot of them happen i think he firmly i think he's a lot like anton i think he firmly believes that what he's doing is good for women's careers i firmly believe that he thinks he did the right thing i think he doesn't think he did anything wrong he's a piece of shit mm-hmm. and i hope unlike cosby he uh he actually stays in prison yeah me too anyway let's get the fuck out of here i give the perfection an eight a solid psychological horror film that really keeps you guessing until the very end. It's a very smart watch. It's entertaining. It's uh, uh, satisfying. And uh, yeah, I wish it had more of a following. Yeah, I gave it a nine. I really, really enjoyed it. I like how it kept me guessing until the end. Um, I really appreciate it from, especially for from that I'm, I'm not sitting there going, oh, this is how it's going in. 
I didn't know I was just going in, and that was satisfying. Um, performance are good across the board. Um, I, yeah, I do wish it had gotten more attention. And, you know, heavy subject matter aside, and I know we kind of went down the dark route, this is something I would actually recommend to anyone to watch on the whim. Because luckily, like, if anyone's worried, like, a lot of it's implied, you're not seeing anything, thank God. Um, and like you said, those great comeuppets at the end, and it's just, it's a satisfying movie. Like, I would definitely recommend this to anyone to watch. If you're looking for, like, a good horror movie on Netflix, check out The Perfection. Yeah. Hell yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this one, even though this got really dark and sad and uncomfortable. Anyway, special thanks to the entire Filmgasm Productions team for making this happen. Austin Johnson, Josh Allred, and of course, Caleb Leger. Special thanks to Andrew Bachman and Juwan Carter, the Giggle Guys, for all they do with their show. Next week, we tackle a divisive sci-fi drama from the early 2000s that some people adore and others despise. Uh, Caleb and I both like it, so that's the angle we're going to be taking. Um, Evan has an unusual condition. He can send his mind back in time to rewrite the events of his life. But changing the past always comes with a steep price, and Evan isn't the only one who will have to pay it. Don't miss next week when we dive into 2004's The Butterfly Effect. Going to be a blast. Uh, This was one you picked for the show. It's been a minute since I saw this movie. Um, I enjoyed it. I remember thinking this is going to suck, and I watched it, and I'm like, oh, this didn't suck. So good to revisit that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, now that I know how dark on this episode, hopefully we don't go that dark and butterfly effect, but I do know it deals with some pretty heavy themes as well. Um, well, we'll get to talk Ashton Kutcher and time travel and yeah. <laughs> yeah, luckily it's heavy themes on a primary focus, but it is one of the plot points. Um, but uh, yeah, it's... I love that movie. I think it's a crime that people can't get past Ashton Kutcher being comedic. So, because to me, he did a pretty damn good job there and really stretched his acting muscles. I fucking love Butterfly Effects. Can't wait. Yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, also, don't miss Charlie Chaplin's Monsieur Verdu on Oscar Sunday and the triple threat of The Green Knight, Jungle Cruise, and Stillwater on Monday's sneak preview. Until then... Reconsider sending your kid to a live-in prep school until you've properly vetted the staff, the students, and most importantly, the past staff and students. Always do whatever you can to prevent leaving your kids in the hands of a rape cult and keep watching movies. Ah!